0: I know what you old-timers are thinking. As you look at me, you're saying he's older (laughs) and bigger. And some of you don't look so good either, I've noticed. (laughs) It is a wonderful joy to be back here in this church. I've followed this church for all of its life known all of your ministers, and it's just a high privilege to be a part of you and to feel related to you and kin to you. I must tell you, however, that uh, Chuck Poole has ruined preaching for most of us. Uh, My favorite kind of sermon is a brief sermon on a big topic by a good, good preacher. And I measure my words when I tell you that no one that I know preaching in America does that better than Chuck Poole. But the brevity is the problem. (laughs) For people like me. And so I beg this morning for a few more minutes than Chuck takes. I read his sermons, listen to them, and I think, "I, I don't know how he does that. I remember Fred Craddock teaching a group of Episcopalian ministers something about preaching and one of them said, can you, can you tell us how to preach in 12 minutes? He said, I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> and I have no idea how to preach in seven minutes, so. I come this morning as a Protestant preacher with a brief. I want to insist that Catholics got something right 500 years ago. Almost 70 years ago now, James Baldwin wrote his quasi-autobiographical novel called Go Tell It on the Mountain. And in that book, he describes a family in Harlem. Uh, The father was a Pentecostal preacher named Gabriel. And he was the pastor of, wouldn't you believe, the Temple of the Fire-Baptized Church. He had a son named John, and John had never become a Christian, never given his life to Christ. And Gabriel had worked for years to try to get his son to become a Christian, but he never could. And one Sunday evening, the congregation had what they called a tarrying meeting. T-A-R-R-Y-I-N-G. They tarried after the regular worship service in order to get people saved. And they prayed and they prayed and people came to the front to the altar and finally, way, way in the night, the son John came to the altar. He knelt and the people came by and they laid hands on him They prayed out loud. They said their hallelujahs and their amens. And finally, early as dawn was breaking, John got a good case of salvation. He was saved. He gave in to being loved by a good and gracious God. There was a woman in the church by the name of Florence. She was John's aunt. And on the way home from church, she was walking with Gabriel, the father, and she said to him, Gabriel, I guess your soul is praising God this morning because of John, isn't it? And then James Baldwin wrote these words. He looked straight ahead, saying absolutely nothing, holding his body more rigid than an arrow, And then he said, he's going to learn, it ain't all in the singing and the shouting. The way of holiness is a hard way. He's got the steep side of the mountain to climb yet. The way of holiness is a hard way. For 500 long adversarial fighting years, the Protestants have stood on one side of the street and the Catholics have stood on the other. The Protestants have stood with Florence and the Catholics have stood with Gabriel. The Protestants have stood on their side of the street proclaiming God's wonderful grace through faith and nothing else. And on the other side of the streets, the Catholics were saying, the life of holiness is a hard way. And you've got to do some works in order to maintain the Christian life. We Protestants on our side of the street were waving posters that had our scriptures emblazoned on them. Romans 1:17: the just shall live by faith and by faith alone. And then some Baptist had a big placard that said, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. And across the street, the Catholics were waving the book of James in our face. And they were saying, what does it profit if a person says he has faith, but has not works?" Can faith save him? Faith by itself, if it has not worked, is dead. What do you do this morning? What do you do with Florence and with Gabriel? What do you do with James and Romans? What do you do with the idea of salvation as a gift and salvation as something you do? The problem of the Reformation, as I see it now 500 years later, is that both the Protestants and the Catholics got a full grasp on a half-truth. And that's what causes havoc in the religious world. People getting white knuckled grass on half truths and overlooking the other truth. So I come in the 500th year of the anniversary of the Reformation and the 50th anniversary of your church to urge upon you a different option. Let's be done with clutching half truths. Our souls are big enough. Our souls are broad enough, expansive enough to hold both truths in our hands. Both salvation as gift and salvation as something we do. I want to be sure that you understand what I'm trying to do and that is to develop a thoroughgoing concept Of works for Protestants like us. We've lived off of grace for 500 years and now it's time we rediscover what the Catholics got right. But I also want to be clear I'm not backing up a minute on the idea that you're saved by grace and it's not what you do. I told some of your friends yesterday in a meeting I was 18 years old barely, uh, in a dormitory room at Delta State in Cleveland, unsuspectingly, wasn't expecting it, wasn't anticipating it, and all of a sudden, I felt the lift and the gift of the grace of God. I did absolutely nothing but let God love me. It was a gift. It was grace, and many of you here today can remember that same moment in your own life. So we're not backing up, we're not backing down as Protestants about this idea of grace being the central core of our lives, but I soon found out that not everything had changed. You know, when I first started preaching, Chuck, I I wore that verse of scripture out in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says, if any person be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and everything has become new. And then I noticed one year, I stopped quoting it so much. I stopped using it so cavalierly. Because I realized not everything had changed. That there was a lot of me left to be saved. A lot of me left to be converted and transformed. And that's what the Catholics got right. They believed in grace too. They were not strangers to the idea of God's gift of love to us. But they knew what Florence meant. They knew that religious faith often begins with a sense of wonder and awe and radical amazement. They understood that. But they also understood that all was not finished when the life of grace was given to us. They recognized that there was a life to be lived beyond the moment of the sense of grace. I think what the Catholics have been trying to say to us for 500 years as Protestants is no battle stays won. No battle stays won. If you don't submit your greed and your prejudices every day of your life, unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ, something will happen. No battle ever stays won. Grace is real, but so is holiness and so is the mountain that faces us. I have never known I've been a Christian now for 62 years. Y'all do the math right quick. (laughs) I've been a Christian for 62 years, and I've never known a serious Christian who thought that the Christian life was a straight line of progress. Never known in my life a serious Christian who believed that. Rather, what they testify to is that the Christian life is a life of zigzags and detours and flops and failures. And so what do we do? As God's people, what do we do? We break down and then we work at it and we break through. We disintegrate. And then we have to get up again and reintegrate. We lose our balance, we become disoriented, and then gratefully we stand upright and we regain our focus. To be a Christian, I've come to believe is to undergo many conversions and that's what the Catholics got right. There's a friend of yours, he loves you deeply, lying in a hospital bed in Louisville, Kentucky this morning. The name is Frank Tupper. When I was on the faculty at Southern Seminary, Frank and I taught together. And he preached a sermon in chapel one day on that text where Jesus touched the blind man And after he touched him, he could not see clearly. And so he had to touch him again. And then Frank Tuber got off one of the best lines I've ever heard about salvation. He said, I can see, but not clearly. I'm saved, but not completely. I'm redeemed, but not absolutely. Oh, Jesus, touch me again and he has to touch us again, and again, and again, and again, and that's why you're here this morning. i never had any trouble understanding why some Catholics go to mass every day. And if I had somebody to do it, I probably need to get baptized every morning just to face the day. The Catholics got it right. So I urge you this morning, do not put asunder what God has joined together. And what God has joined together is Florence and Gabriel, Paul and James, grace and works. Paul said, the only thing that counts is faith working through love. Somewhere I read, I don't know where it was, I read years ago about a fellow who was doing a religious survey out in the Midwest, and he was in Kansas, and he came upon this Mennonite farmer. And he made conversation with him and then finally he turned to him and he said, are you a Christian? The old Mennonite farmer smiled and bowed his head sheepishly and he said, oh, I don't know, you'll have to ask my neighbors. Could I do that this morning? Could I ask your neighbors? And what would they say if you ask mine? Don't let go of Florence, don't let go of Gabriel, don't let go of grace and keep working.